Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's time for Next Gen Friday. We are so excited about the future of our fellowship that we highlight the 40 and under pastors of CFM. We hope you are inspired by the deep bench of pastors and leaders coming up around the world. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. We're going to have a great time tonight. Church is such a wonderful presence of God in this place. We're going to um, get in straight into the Word of God. Let's go to... Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, if you brought your Bibles with you, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, Um, I'm very excited about this service tonight because I know God is going to help us, God is going to break some yokes here, God is going to mend relationships, marriages, and I believe I have the mind of God for us. There's an article that I read by a lady named Rhonda Stoppy, and she explains that one evening uh, that her husband Steve was there, uh, he had stepped outside the house to quiet the dogs, you know, they're all barking uncontrollably, and, you know, from inside the house, she says, I heard my husband Steve screaming, and he shouted, Rhonda, come quick, there's a snake in the house, and her mind was like, a snake? And you want me to come over? Like, no, you're, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. And, you know, she explains, like, at this point, he says, yes, I need you to come and watch where it goes while I run and get a shovel to kill it. And she's like, at this point, I knew my husband was crazy. I was ready to sell the house, get rid of it, move everything out. Come, you know, she's like, but nonetheless, I reluctantly moved um, into the living room And then she said, I was greeted by the disturbing sound of a rattle. And I looked, and there was a four-foot rattlesnake coiled in the corner of the entryway. She says, man, I jumped on the sofa. I called out to her husband. He says, look, keep an eye on him. I don't want this snake to get lost in the house. And, you know, and obviously she began to think about it and says, you know, this makes lots of sense. So anyways, Steve comes back. He ends up, you know, sneaking behind the snake. Uh, he pins it with a shovel, chops its head off, and, you know, they all, blood goes everywhere, and they live happily ever after, and, you know, but she says, at that point, I felt relief, and I knew I could turn off the recorder on my phone, put it down, you know, and it's all calm, it's all good now, and she explains on how she understood that, thankfully, God had protected my husband even before he realized he was in danger, And the husband recognized there's a snake in the house. I need to do what I can to get it out. And if you get one thing from tonight's message, and that is understand that Satan attacked the very first marriage that God had created. And since that point, he has been on a full assault against marriages since the beginning of this time. And you and I cannot be ignorant of this fact. Right? We have to be prepared. We have to understand that in your marriage, Satan will come and attack you. It's just going to happen. You have to understand that 
that he's going to attack, be prepared to defend and also counterattack as well. So let's go to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. It says, Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And the multitudes gathered to him again. And as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of, dis- of divorce and dismiss her. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity, God, to minister your gospel. God, I pray that you mend broken marriages, Father God. I pray that you bring healing, Father God, to violations, God. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, God, the anointing may break the yokes of bondage, God. I pray let there be, Father God, reconciliation this evening, God. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, Amen. Now, if you're not married, please don't dismiss this sermon. You're like, hey, I'm single. I don't got to listen to this. No, please listen. When I was single in this church, I heard countless sermons on marriage. And truth is, the word of God has been deposited into my life since when I was two years old. Um, So allow God to deposit into your life, you know, you single men and women as well. Don't count it out. But I want to minister a sermon I've entitled, Guarding Against Serpents. And uh, I want to look at three things. God's design for marriage. Secondly, Satan's strategy against marriage. And lastly, guarding against serpents. Now, we have to understand that marriage, we have to start off with this fact, right? Marriage is God's idea, right? This is why in the book of Genesis, well, first of all, to understand this, we have to go back to the beginning, right? We go back to the book of Genesis. It's considered the book of beginnings. And if you want to know How something is intended to work, you go where? To the source. You go exactly to the source of where it comes from. And marriage comes from God, right? We live in a generation today that wants to define what marriage is, right? We live in a generation that, you know, tosses words out like, well, you know, uh, everything is on a spectrum, right? Everything's fluid. It's, you know, it's constantly changing and evolving. And that, you know, today's culture wants to define what marriage is. It can be a man with a man, a woman with a woman, a man with a cat, you know, a man with himself. There's people that have actually married themselves. Like they have legal documentation of this. People have gone and married robots. That's true. And the list goes on and on in what our culture is trying to define what marriage is. But it's not marriage. Right? You, you call it whatever you want to call it, 
but it's not marriage. Marriage is defined as a holy matrimony between man, God, and his spouse. Right? We know the term, right? Adam and Eve. That's just how it is. Man and a woman. And this is God's idea. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 through 24. It says, But for God, there was, uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother to be joined with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They say that Adam was there, right? He's naming all the animals and you know, he's seen them in pairs and he's noticing like, hey, you know, where's my helper? The elephant's got a wife. You know, hey, the lion's got a wife. Heck, even the donkey has a wife. You know, <laughs> where's my pair? Where's my wife? Where's my spouse? And I begin to think, well, maybe, you know, maybe God allowed Adam to get lonely. Like maybe this is how it was intended. You know what? Let me let you really appreciate your wife here, your future wife to be. You're going to be alone, and it's your job to take care of everything. It's almost like God was preparing Adam to receive his wife, right? Every animal and creation God made had a spouse, in a sense, right? It could be paired with something, with the exception of mankind, and Eve was part of Adam, right? We know that God made Adam first, then Eve, unlike Adam, right? Adam was made from scratch. It says that he was made from the dirt of the ground. Eve was not made from the dirt. Eve was made from, uh, from Adam's rib. Our text says here that God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and while he slept, he took one of Adam's ribs, closed up the flesh, and with that, God made woman, and he brought her to the man. So Eve came from Adam's rib. We've all heard the uh, traditional Jewish saying that, uh, that God made woman not out of man's foot to be under him, nor out of his head to be over him, but she was taken from under his arm that he might protect her from next to his heart that he might love her. In other words, it was from the rib to signify you two are equals there. You're not meant to, you know, uh, rule over her unruly. You're not meant to, you know, step upon her. But it's there so that you can love her, you can protect her. There's a joke that says that when Adam uh, first saw Eve, that he said, whoa, man. And that's how we got the term woman. That was his response was, whoa, man, this is awesome. He was infatuated with her. Right? And here she came from Adam's side to show that she has the same value as Adam, right? They were equal, but with different roles to play. There's a, an, an, another story, I guess. Adam was sitting there in the garden. He's talking to God. And, you know, he tells God, God, you've given me life. You've given me purpose of naming every animal. You've given me plenty of food to eat. You've made me comfortable. You've kept me. You've fed me. You've given me a sense of purpose. However, I'm beginning to feel a little lonely. You know, is there anything you can do to fix that? 
And God replies, well, I'm going to give you a partner. He's like, great. She's going to be called Eve. You can work with that. You know, she'll stand by you. She'll support you. She'll lift you up. She'll enforce your rules. She'll be, you know, right there on your right hand to do whatever you ask. She will bear your children, raise them up to your liking. She will feed you, clothe you, make tortillas for you. Man, she's going to take care of you. She's going to be beautiful, graceful, and warm, kind, caring, thoughtful. She'll always be there for you, Adam. He's like, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And he's like, what can I get for a rib? (laughs) What can I get for a rib, Lord? (laughs) See, the point is, she came from his flesh. And Adam said, this is now bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. In other words, Adam is saying, this woman is part of my identity, right? It's it's, it's who I am. And because of that, they're meant to be together forever, right? uh, uh, Here's Adam. He understood the essential oneness that he had with his relationship with Eve. And he recognized Eve is part of who I am, right? She is bones of my bones. She's flesh of my flesh, that she is now a part of who I am. She is now a part of my identity, that now we are no longer two, but we are one flesh coming together. It says the two shall become one. And what is one in Greek? One. And they're not separate, they're one. This is why you have to be careful, young, single people. You need to be careful. You cannot... Uh, 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 you know, think that, you know what, that me, you know, sleeping around, whatever, that it's not going to affect anything. No, no, there's serious consequences when you go outside of marriage. Why? Because, again, the two become one. Perfect example of this, I'm praying the glue has dried, because if not, it's going to be a fail. These are two pieces of paper, right? They're glued together. The two have become, all right, cool. We're, We're on the same page here. You come together, where you, you say, you know what, whatever, I'm going to go do the deed, right? And you two become one in that moment. That's how God designed it. And then what happens is later on you separate. That doesn't look good. It's hard to tear something that has become one. And then you go and attach yourself to somebody else again. And again, you separate. And over time, you keep doing that, your soul is going to be left fractured because you're constantly ripping yourself apart spiritually. This is why people that go, they sleep around when they shouldn't be sleeping around. A lot of people that have multiple partners suffer from mental instability. Why? Because the two become one. You take on that person essentially. It's not going to affect, no, it, it will. It may not, you may not feel it right then and there, but it will. Save yourself. And when you become married, you're one in every area. The both of you should be growing together emotionally, spiritually, even intellectually, I hope. <laughs> Your finances become one. No separate bank accounts. You're married. Well, that's your debt. No. When you got married, that's your debt as well. 
Right? You should not be having separate bank accounts if you are married. Right? Every guy tries to have what we call she money. Y'all know what she money is, right? That money she don't know about. Right? We have that she money. You're hiding it. It's my she money, man. It's my going out to eat money. Right? It's no longer my money, but it's our money. See, by God making Eve from Adam, he wanted Adam and Eve to know that they're in it for the long haul. Matthew 10, 8-9, our text says, Again, the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. See, but this is Satan's strategy against marriages, right? He wants to go and bring division, right? Satan, you know, he saw Adam and Eve as one. He understood when, you know, that, that now Adam and Eve, they're, they're one flesh, they're one entity, and he sought to bring division among them. You have to understand tonight that Satan does not want your marriage to succeed, he wants to do everything he can to destroy your marriage. This is why it says, right, the thief comes not to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is his plan for your marriage. He wants to bring you against each other. Remember Rhonda in the beginning? The serpent came into the house. Satan wants access into your marriage. He wants access into your home. He wants access into your finances. And he sneaks in like a snake. He slithers in by. You have to guard your heart. You have to guard your marriage. See, right after Adam and Eve fell into sin, we see the very first argument, right? The first blame game that's going on. Genesis 3 verse 9 says, And the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree in which I commanded you not to eat? And he said, well, the woman you gave me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And then now Eve, you know, God replies to Eve, what is this that you've done? He says, well, you know, it was the serpent, you know, he deceived me. Everyone's, you know, blaming everybody. It's a who's on first, you know, type of situation. Oh, that person, no, that person. Very first argument and blame game is happening. Adam says, it's her fault. You know, she's the reason why we're in this situation. Oh, I know we've never played that. Oh, my finances, it's the wife. Oh, you know, my home, there's no peace. It's my wife. And, and well, my husband, you know, if he would simply take out the trash, he knows I don't have to ask him. Just, you see it filled, take it out. And all of a sudden, you know, these arguments begin to happen and, you know, and just blaming each other. Here's Adam. His wife is there. He's supposed to be her covering, her protector. And what does he do? He threw under the bus. <laughs> their fault. Right, we've all heard, well, Eve gets the blame, but the question is, where was Adam? Again, he's supposed to be her covering. This is why you have to pray for your wife. And wives, you better pray for your husband as well. I always, you know, I appreciate my wife because I, I know she prays for me. I hear her. I've heard her praying for me before. She's like, God, help this man, please. <laughs> please help him, Lord. <laughs> They say sometimes, you know, with your, with your 
Husband, you just got to duck so, you know, God can hit him. <laughs> Pray for your spouse. Pray for your spouse. You, there, you have to understand there are warning signs. Back in our story with Rhonda, she explains that she knew something was wrong because she heard the dogs barking. Or they're outside, all this commotion's going on, and she understood there's something weird happening here. You better learn to recognize the warning signs in your marriage, right? You have to understand the, the, the enemy's doing something here. I remember my mom, I know she's going to kill me for this, and my dad, but oh well. I remember once, we're driving to church. I was a kid. I was a younger kid. It was burned in my brain, though. Driving to church, and you know, they're having their arguments, right, like all couples do, and they're driving, and uh, they begin to fight and argue, and they're going at it. It's right before service, you know, the best times ever. And I'm in the back, you know, I'm just listening to all this. And all of a sudden, you know, my, my dad, he's like, you know what, babe, we need to pray. It's the devil attacking us. And my mom's like, be quiet, Carlos, you're the devil. He's <laughs> like, you're the stinking devil. <laughs> and I was like, one for mom, O oh for dad. <laughs> he's like, we need to pray, he's the devil. No, you're the devil. <laughs> In that moment, my dad recognized the enemies attacking him. <laughs> oh, why? Because again, John 10, 10, the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, or the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right? He doesn't come to play. He comes to destroy. But as believers, we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan's strategy against your marriage involves multiple avenues one obviously finances right this is the number one marriage problem is money you have to recognize that money is the number one cause of divorce you know what's very very interesting in acts chapter 5 verse 3 we have the story of ananias and sapphire they're there the very first Sa uh, the very first mention of satan after the day of Pentecost, was within the context of marriage and finances. Acts 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And we know the story. They died. <laughs> but the point is, first mention of Satan after Pentecost was in the context of marriage and finances. Oh, well, he doesn't make enough money. Well, if, you know, if we made more money, we wouldn't be in this problem. Well, if you hadn't gone and spent so much on the credit cards, we would be you know, entirely okay. And all of a sudden, you know, there's contention. Now there's no peace in the home. Second area is neglect. This is usually very subtle on how the enemy works, right? It starts, you start... You know, because of issues and arguments, you start, you know, fighting. You're no longer giving attention. Sometimes as men, we shut down, right? We begin to argue, and you're like, there's a switch that flips down. You're like, zero emotion. You clock out emotionally. You begin to walk around the house like your wife doesn't even exist. You stop showing her affection. You stop holding your wife's hand. You don't open the door for your wife anymore. And all of a sudden, you begin to neglect the marriage that God has given you. 
Don't neglect each other. <clears throat> so in case you didn't know, this is not always the case, but usually men want one thing only. Typically, right? That's how it goes. Well, for the lack of better terms, we'll call it, as I've heard before, fellowship. <laughs> men love to fellowship. In case that went over your head, it's sex. <gasps> he said the S word. You know what? The world says it, okay? God designed it. It's good there. <laughs> right? The world doesn't get to have all the fun, right? It, it, you know, you know, it should not be a taboo topic, right? Kids grow up thinking, well, the world only gets to have this and this and that. No, heck no. This was God's first command to the very first couple. What? Be fruitful and multiply. Have lots of fellowship. He wants it for your marriage. He designed it. While women, on the other hand, right, they, they're more on the emotional aspect, right? They have uh, what you call the uh, uh, um, love language, right? There's five languages that a woman, uh, you know, they can have words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, act of service, physical touch. Some of you are like, it's all of the above, man. She's hard. <laughs> it's, it's all of them. It's not just one. But the point is, don't neglect your wife emotionally you are not only hurting her emotionally when you neglect her but you'll also get less fellowship so take care of your wife's needs men third thing is wandering eyes and thoughts this is the enemy he's very very crafty right and as a man if you look to another woman in lust what you're implying is my spouse is not good enough for me and you what you do is you create a positive feedback cycle, an endless loop, right? Because, you know, if you know, she, women are smart, they know. And if she knows that, you'll get less fellowship too. Because <laughs> you're saying you're not good enough for me. You have to guard your eyes. You have to control your eyes. And this also applies, obviously, for the wife as well. I pray a prayer that I've heard my pastor pray till this very day. I prayed every day. This, Lord, let my eyes be solely for my wife. In other words, I want my eyes, I want to make a covenant with my eyes that my wife is the only woman that I look at. Woman, pray for your husband. So we know that he attacks your finances. He will use, get into your um, relationship through neglect, different things like that. He will, you know, attack your heart, get into... Uh, 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 to have wandering eyes and thoughts. Another thing is he'll attack your children as well. Right, from Genesis chapter 4, from when Cain killed Abel, the enemy has often gone after the children. And oftentimes, a, uh, uh, the struggle in marriages can also occur because of the children, right? Here is Satan attacking children. And then not only that, but he'll use your children against you as well. So you have to pray for your children. You have to understand that the enemy is out there to bring division in your marriage. Don't let him. You have to recognize it. And just like Rhonda's husband, Steve, you have to come in. You have to deal with the warning signs. Don't let them just linger but you have to deal with it right away because the longer you let it linger, it's almost like the colder your marriage becomes. And next thing you know, 
you're, you know, you're sleeping in separate rooms, and, and you know, and it just, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So let's close with guarding against serpents. You have to stand strong during the assaults against your marriage because they're going to happen, right? The assaults are going to take place. Satan's going to come. He's going to, you know, he's going to assault your marriage, and you have to be able to stand strong no matter what. I'm going to read quite a bit here. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. This is going to be pretty much the recipe to fix any marriage. It says, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and what? And gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of the flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you, uh, uh, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's all about and, uh, two things, right? Love and respect. There's a great book. If you're married, it's called Love and Respect. But this is the key to every marriage. Husband, if you love your wife, right? It's, it's just like Jesus said. If you, uh, if you love God and you love your fellow man, you will naturally fulfill the commandments. If you love your wife the way you're supposed to love your wife, right? Just like Christ gave himself for the church. If you love your wife with that type of love, you will automatically fulfill her needs. Wife, if you respect your husband, he will be the man that you want him to be. So what does it mean to love your wife, right? We know in Greek there's four different words for love, right? In the English there's only one word, it just means love. But in Greek you have uh, 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 um, eros, uh, philia, and some, uh, another one, and then you have what we all know as agape. Right? In, our, in this text where it talks about loving your wife, the word that is used here is agape. Agape love, and what that means is it is a love that is very distinct or instinctive. It's an unconditional love, right? In other words, Christ loves you unconditionally. Right? There's nothing you can do as a child of God that can make Christ love you more. Right? Understand that tonight. That Christ already loves you as his child unconditionally. There's no conditions to Christ's love for you. 
And this is the type of love that we need to have towards our wives, an unconditional love, not some spontaneous feeling, well, you know, not some no, but what it's talking about is a decision to love, that I'm going to love my wife. When I pray, I don't pray, God, help me to love my wife. I know a lot of times when we pray, we use, at least I used to, Pray, God, you know, help me in this area. God, help me with, you know, uh, to guard my eyes. God, help me to love my wife. What that is saying is, God, I don't care, and I need your help in this area. I pray, God, I will continue to love my wife. God, I will continue to guard my eyes. God, I will continue to be faithful. I am making a declaration. I'm not saying, God, I don't want to do these things. Help me, God, not to let. No, I'm saying, God, I'm going to continue. In other words, I am being intentional with my words, intentional with my prayers, because that's the type of love I want to give my wife. Intentional love. Not spontaneous, well, you know what? I feel like loving my wife today. No, I'm, I'm going to make a choice. I will love my wife. I know I got leftovers today, but I'm going to love my wife, <laughs> right? You can just play that in your head. A- anytime something happens, say, God, no matter what, I'm going to love my wife. And that equals, ah, I'm kidding. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. That's love. That's agape love. In other words, the love of God suffers long and is kind, does not envy. God's love does not parade itself does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Do you love your spouse with that type of love? Or is your love conditional? This is the word, again, agape. It's used in here. Wives, you're called to respect your husband. Oh, he doesn't give me anything to respect. I'll respect him, but he don't give me nothing to work with. Sorry, you have to respect your husband. Why? Because, in a sense, love comes naturally for a woman. It's like, okay, I love him, but I don't really respect him, right? He's my husband. (laughs) You already know when I laugh like this, it's a story that I'm like, uh. I remember once hearing a couple arguing, and he's like, woman, submit. And she's like, well, give me something to submit to. (laughs) It's like, hijo su. As Pastor Victor says, the frio level, man. Jesus, love her. You just start praising God. God, help this couple, please. (laughs) Respect your husband. I know you mean well, right, when you're trying to correct him. Gosh, that's, men hate that, right? Your wife's there and trying to, and you mean well, right? And then somehow the, the man, you process it incorrectly. The worst thing you can do is criticize your husband. Also, the, even worse on that is criticize them in front of people. You want your husband to shut down on you? Criticize him in front of his friends. Criticize him in front of a fellowship. <clears throat> Don't belittle him. 
Recognize he's the head of the house. Allow him to lead. I remember my first six months of marriage, you know, I stopped contending. My wife stopped respecting me. Why? Because I stopped being involved in the church. I pulled out of my ministries. She thought she married a disciple. Pulled out of everything. And man, our first six months of marriage were rocky. We clashed. We were fighting. I think I shared this before. You know, in her mind, she's like, I thought I married a disciple. For six months, I pulled back on everything. Stopped being involved. But you know, she was praying for me. One day at a church concert, I broke down in the restroom. I said, God, I need you to help me. Put in me a new heart. God, help me be the man that you want me to be. And from that day forward, I never got late for the most part. Went to every serious man. But it brought harmony to our marriage. Because she knew, I know what you can be. And you're not that person. Maybe, just maybe, your marriage would do so much better if you started contending. Going the extra mile. Give her something to follow. Your wife wants you to lead. Give her something to follow. My wife, she'll follow me to the ends of the earth. My wife was willing to go with us all the way to India, pregnant. <laughs> we were ready to fly on a plane, 28 weeks pregnant, 27-hour flight, because she knows I'll follow you. I'll go anywhere you want to go. Pregnant, not pregnant, whatever you want to do. She gives me that liberty. Why? Because she respects me. Some of you, your wives won't even follow you to church. Be the man your wife needs you to be. She wants you to lead. You have to recognize when you're being assaulted. Pray for one another. Allow God to work in your marriage. Right, because if you don't work in your, if you don't allow God to work in your marriage, guess what? The devil's going to work on your marriage, and he's there to destroy you. You have to be able to recognize. Okay, I see it now. Right, I I, I see the areas in my marriage that you know that could be better. You recognize the problem. You come to the altar, and you pray and say, God, today it's going to change. I'm going to love my wife unconditionally with agape love. And wives, I'm going to respect my husband. You know, again, I, I so appreciate my wife because she won't, over the years, you know, we've, we've grown, we've been married uh, 10 years already, a little over 10 years, and she knows, you know, that what not to do and what to do. She'll, she'll let me. She'll be like, she won't say anything, and I know what she's thinking. I'm like, oh, man, like... I know I'm messing up in this area or whatever, but she, and, and I appreciate about that. I appreciate her about that because she just, she lets God move in me. She prays for me. And then when I get it, she's like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> pray for your husband. Also, husbands, pray for your wife. Tonight, God wants to fix some marriages tonight. I'm not saying, you know, you're on the brink of divorce. Don't let it get to that point. Right? If you see problems, deal with it immediately. My wife and I, we have a rule, and that is we don't go to bed angry, right? We've all heard that said before. We never go to bed angry. We deal with it 
immediately. And in our 10 years of being married, we've probably gone a bit angry, probably once. But nonetheless, we dealt with it. Because the longer it lingers, the colder and colder, colder your marriage gets. And the next thing you know, you're throwing around the divorce word and everything like that. Once you throw that out, that's, sometimes that's something you cannot get back. Be very careful with using that word. You, you have no idea how dangerous that is. You are walking on very dangerous grounds. Withhold, pray, ask God to help you, guard against the serpents, run out the enemy from your life. Amen. That's all I have. We can have every head bowed, every eyes closed tonight. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.